Hey there, HTVB. It's a joy to be speaking to you today as we start our new series called Design. And the title of my message today is Designed in His Image. I wonder, have you ever asked yourself, who am I? And what's the point of it all? Why are we here? It's been said that one of the first words we probably heard was our name. And then in some way, we then spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out what it means and what is our place here in the world. Well, today I want to speak to you about the why and the how of our existence. I believe that the answer to who we are is found in the question, whose are we? And from the earliest pages of the story of humanity, we're given an insight into our identity. So our passage of scripture is found in page one of the Bible in Genesis 1 verse 27 to 31. Let's read. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. By the way, this is also every other Chinese wedding yam seng toast. And fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made was good. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth you and I were designed in the image of God. There is a divine spark in you. And if imitation is a form of flattery, then being made in the image of God is the highest form of flattery there is. Throughout history, um, many ancient religions had leaders that claimed that they were gods. Kings and rulers who claimed that they possessed the power of the divine. They claimed that they were God. And so they made statues of themselves in their image. But in Israel, the ancient Jewish people believed in a God who created all creation. This was the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods. And this uh, was a God that the Jews worshipped. But the Jews worshipped in, in, a, in a very different way. The way that they worshipped their God was that they didn't make images of their God. They believed that you can't reduce the, the magnitude of God, the God of all creation, into mere images. But there was another reason why idolatry wasn't allowed. People were not supposed to make images of God because God had already made images of himself. See, from the first page of the Bible, God made creation. But as the pinnacle of his work, he created humans, and he called them his images. In verse 27, we read, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
this concept that God made humanity in His likeness holds so much significance for the human race that it has inspired the thoughts of many theologians through the ages. It's shaped laws, it's informed how human society is organized. And the ancient Latin-speaking people would later name this concept the Imago Dei, the image of God. You and I have the Imago Dei. And having the Imago Dei informs not just who we are, but how we live. It transforms three fundamental things about us. How we live, how we lead, and how we love. The first thing that we learn about the Imago Dei is that we were meant to truly live. Now, it may seem a little obvious that God created us so that we may live, right? After all, isn't that what we're all doing? We're all engaging on this online church service. We're all breathing. Aren't we all living? But there is a difference between being alive and truly living. We know that there's a difference between waking up, breathing, and knowing why. It was Mark Twain who said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you know why. And in Jesus, you can know your why. Jesus said in the book of John, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He offers not just mere existence, but a full one. So to bear the Imago Dei means to live purposeful, exciting, and joyful lives. In verse 31, when God made humankind, He declared, it was very good. And today, Today, someone watching this needs to know that on the day that you were born, God looked at you and said, this is very good. You have an inherent goodness that comes from God so that you are worth more than the worst thing you've ever committed. God made you good, not because of what you've done, but because of who He is. And God wants you to have a good, full life. But what does it mean to live a good life? It even sounds a little decadent, right? Well, the Bible says that goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so I love joy and peace. And the fruit is always determined by the root. If you are rooted in Christ, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Life bears life. And to truly live is to be rooted in what is good, to bear good fruit. And this is why in the passage we have just read, we see a pattern of how God desires for us to live. He says in verse 28, be fruitful and increase in number. See, goodness grows. And growth is the fruit that is the result of being rooted in God. And this goodness is not dependent on external circumstances, but is more of an internal disposition. This goodness is not what happens to you, but what grows in you. And your fruit is always determined by your root. The second way that the Imago Dei changes how we live is in how we lead. When God created humanity in His image, He created both male and female, blessed them, and gave them two mandates. The first was the call to family and growth. Be fruitful and increase in number, He said. The second was the call to leadership. 
fill the earth and subdue it. Our identity is shaped by our purpose. And one way that we bear the Imago Dei is that we are God's representatives, God's hands and feet to his world. But what does it mean to, to be an image? Well, I sort of think of images as being signs that point to a person. And uh, this is an image of my son. It really is a photograph. Um, and this is not actually Levi the person, but it's an image of Levi. In fact, it even says on the back of this photo, Fujifilm, quality dry photo paper. It's just a paper, nothing but a piece of paper with a photograph on it. This is not Levi, but it tells me about Levi. It's an image that reflects who Levi is. And just from this image, I, I get a sense of who he is. Um, he's quite a chubby eight-month-old baby, uh, my son. Uh, fortunately, he's inherited his mother's smile, but very unfortunately, he's, he's inherited his father's weird eyebrows. We are the image of God. We're not God, and thank God we're not God. This is one of the most um, freeing truths about life, that we are not God. We're not the point. We point to the point, who is God. But we are his image, and the image points to him. See, you and I are like fingers that point to the person. I once heard of a man who went to the hospital and he was complaining of pain all over his body. And so he said, doctor, doctor, I have a lot of pain on my body. Everywhere in my body hurts. The doctor said, okay, well, show me where it hurts. Point it out to me. And the man said, oh, well, if I point to my shoulder, it really hurts. The doctor said, okay, where else in your body is painful? He said, well, my stomach's really painful as well. The doctor said, where else? The man pointed at his knee. Ouch, it really hurts. Everywhere, doctor, everywhere on my, my body pa is, is painful. The doctor said, well, I, I know what your problem is. The man said, what? The doctor said, it's very simple. You have a broken finger. You and I are like fingers that point to God. But today you may, you may feel like a broken finger. Your life points to God, but you may think, you know what? My life is pretty broken. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that God specializes in using the broken and ordinary things. See, in the creation story, we read about the creation of humanity. In Genesis 2 verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed in, into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Here we see what our humanity is made of. Dust and image. Limitations and limitlessness. And from the dust of the ground, God formed man and breathed life into him. And today, he breathes life into that, that which is broken, into that which is limited, and to that which is mere dust. Years later, Jesus would extend this idea of dust an image by saying, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. And he blesses your brokenness as he calls you with the call of leadership. Friends, you are his representatives on earth, the image of God to all creation, given a mandate to lead well and to cultivate creation. In verse 28, he says, fill the earth and subdue it. 
It's interesting, this word subdue here comes from the Hebrew word kabash, which means to bring into order or to cultivate, kind of like a, a farmer who takes care of the soil, working the land in order to let good things grow and flourish on it. This is why St. Peter wrote to the Christians in 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Your life is a finger that points to the God of all creation. Your life's show God. God's desire for us is that when people spend time with us, they leave feeling as if they've spent a little time with God. And today, God wants to grow in us what only He can grow, a life of goodness, a life that brings good to the world. But God's image in you isn't just confined to how you live or how you lead. It's also in how you love. See, you have the image of God in you, but more than that, the people around you also have it too. It was Mother Teresa who said, I see Jesus in every human being. I said to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. See, the great mystery is the God who made us in His likeness came to us in our likeness so that we could be more like Him. And God is love. In fact, His very essence is a community of love. In the first chapter of Genesis, as God created the world, He said, let there be light. And then there was a whole series of let there be. Let there be sky, let there be water, let the land, the trees, the creatures in the water and on land come to life. But get this, when he created mankind, this command of God changed from let there be to let us make. Let us make. Here at the very creation of mankind, we see a picture of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whose very essence is love. And today, He can change the way we love others because love loves difference. I was raised in a family with special needs. My sister, Abby, uh, was born with Down syndrome. And over the years, my relationship with Abby has evolved with the places, uh, the phases of my life. At the age of five, I, I sort of thought, I'm going to marry Abby. I declared that very loudly in my family dinner, I remember. And my mom, thank, thank God for patient parents, uh, my mom just sort of gently told me that that's not, that's not exactly allowed. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Uh, I clearly had no clue about the social or legal problems with marrying my own sister. And then at the age of 13, I began to realize Abby's quite different from most of the people we've ever come across. And as a teenager, I began to sort of feel different feelings in, in relation to Abby. Uh, there were feelings of awkwardness, even shame about, about having her around. And in my wanting to be one of the crowd, I knew that being too close to someone who was too different wouldn't help, even if, if that was my sister. 
one day I was hanging out with my friend in our house and we were sort of messing about. Uh, I remember, I, I think he was just playing with toy swords. I can't even remember what exactly we were doing, but we were just messing about in the room. And uh, Abby comes to the door and she knocks on the door trying to enter. And my friend, thinking that it was funny, locked the door. He said, um, well, Abby is just quite weird, so let's not let her come in. And then he laughed this cheeky, cruel laugh. But at that moment, something stirred in my, in my, in my uh, spirit. And I, I sort of felt two different feelings. The first was a feeling of shame that I let that happen to my sister. But the second was a feeling of anger that here was uh, my sister, someone I loved, knocking on the door to be let in. But we were finding glee in keeping her out. So I went to the door and I tried to open it, but my friend slammed his hand on the door and he said, don't let her in, she's weird. And then I did what every diplomatic, skillful negotiator would do. I kicked his groin and then I opened the door and we let Abby in. Now, now clearly that wasn't the right thing to do, or was it? But both of us, both of us were promptly punished for this and, and I sort of think back to that time about a lesson in justice. See, just, justice is the unshakable belief that everyone is equal, even if they're different. That different people are of no less value because of their infinite value in God. And no one should be left out just on the basis of their difference. Jesus said in the Gospels, they will know you follow me by your love. And love loves difference. The foundation of the Imago Dei says, we may be different, but we are of equal value. We may be distinct, but we are alike in our likeness of God. And because God's image is on us, we will lead in a way that loves everyone with equal dignity. It's so fascinating that it was the atheist philosopher Nietzsche who said, Another crazy Christian concept has passed even more deeply into the tissue of modernity. Uh, it was Nietzsche who famously claimed that God is dead. And yet he said, this concept of the equality of souls before God, this is the concept that furnishes the prototype for all theories of equal rights. See, your actions will only go as far as your beliefs allow you to. And if you believe in the Imago Dei, if you believe in a God who made us equal, then any fight for equality begins with the belief of human worth. The Imago Dei tells us that all forms of othering has no place in this world. And this is why racism, sexism, ageism, any form of injustice that others, others, that rejects diversity goes against the very nature of humanity. Justice without love is revenge, but justice with love leads to reconciliation. You and I are called to be the fingers that point to the Lord of all creation, the representatives of God's great love, his hands and his feet to a world that needs love. But none of this is possible without a restored humanity. At the cross, Jesus bound himself to humanity by taking on the brokenness of mankind and restoring what it means to be human again. And because he gives us new life, 
we can truly live because he gives us a call to lead. We're broken, but blessed fingers that point to God. And because he poured his love for us through his act on the cross, we can love our neighbor. This is what it means to have the image of God. And as we come to receive this God who made us, we come to a full and complete identity, a purpose that he has for us. Let's pray. You may want to uh, just where you're at, raise your hands like this as an act of an openness, a, a posture that says, Lord, I'm ready to receive whatever you have for me. And we'll pray this simple and ancient prayer that says, come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you wherever we're at. So we pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us now.